You're listening to the Together in Literacy podcast, a podcast for educators, families, and advocates that connects the research of reading, dyslexia awareness, and the whole child. We're your hosts, Casey Harrison and Emily Gibbons. As two literacy dyslexia specialists, we've come together to talk about literacy, dyslexia, and the connection to the social-emotional impact that it has on our students, their families, and the educators who serve them. We welcome you to join us on this exciting and educational journey into dyslexia as we come together in literacy. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit us at www.togetherinliteracy.com. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get started. Well, hello everyone here with Casey. Hi, Casey. Hello everyone. We are here for, oh my goodness, episode 11. <laughs> and this is a really exciting episode. And we would say it's sort of an, an offspring of episode 10, which was talking all about working memory with Dr. Erica Warren. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that, and we really recommend it because that's going to give you some nice background information to lead into today's episode, which is all about the importance and the benefits of playing games with your students. So before we get into talking about games, very excited about that, I have a review. And this is from Misty Mir, and it's called Dream Team. Casey and Emily are my two most favorite dyslexia experts and educators. To enjoy them together in a podcast is amazing. They share relevant and important information as well as actionable tips and tools. Their combined experience and knowledge creates a goldmine of information in a friendly, welcoming format. For me, they offer the validation and motivation I need to continue my work as a dyslexia and OG interventionist. I recommend this podcast to parents as well as educators. Well, Misty Mir, that really just is, was such a beautiful review. And we just want to say thank you so, so much. We absolutely want to make sure that this podcast is geared towards both educators and families and caregivers. Uh, we love that you're able to glean so much information from it. And uh, we're just having a good time, aren't we? We are. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, and we do. We try to keep things friendly. All right. <laughs> no hostility in this podcast at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> and once again, please, we love to hear from you. If you want to leave us a positive rating and a review, please, please do that. And we may feature you on a future episode. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so Casey and I love playing games with kids, but we're going to get into a few things that today that some things to keep in mind. So we want to yeah. talk about a few things. We're going to break it into three parts. We're going to talk about the benefits that games have. Mm -hmm. And we're really thinking about games, we're thinking about learning activities that make things engaging and motivating for our kids. And then after the benefits, we're going to talk about the different purposes that games can serve. So the reasons you might want to use one or incorporate one into your lesson. And this is especially important if you're wondering, 
can I use games in my lesson? Right. We're going to share how you can put games into your lessons while still maintaining the, the fidelity of your program or the Orton-Gillingham approach. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a really good part. And then the third part we're going to get into is just some tips to keep in mind when you're planning which game to use, the skills you want to incorporate, the focus you want to have, all that good stuff. Okay. So let's get started here. Let's talk about the benefits. So there's so many, Emily. I know. <laughs> I, I mean, there's just, I, I'm looking at my notes. I'm like, there is just like, you name it, it can be a benefit. Yes. So when we weave in learning activities in, that are sort of like, we can call them games to kids, but we know <laughs> sometimes they're playfully disguised, aren't they? They really are helping our our students, our children in so many ways. They are helping to improve their attention, concentration, and their memory. And linking back to uh, Dr. Erica Warren's episode on working memory, that has really been a wonderful episode for us to learn more about how we can, with, through games, we can help increase and improve working memory. So uh, all those games of concentration that you might be playing with your kids uh, mm -hmm. really, really can help quite a bit. Games improve children's critical thinking. They have to work through and problem solve. And sometimes a game can just have a yes or no pathway, but other times they have to do a little more planning. There's going to be some strategy in there. Mm -hmm. Even something as simple as a tic-tac-toe game right. has a lot of strategy. And let me tell you, I have had some students that have totally kicked my butt over the years in tic-tac-toe <laughs> and have shown me strategies that I never knew before. And that is what I love about working with these kids because they have some really good problem solving skills when it comes to game playing. Casey, have you noticed that with students you play with? Yes. One of the uh, easiest activity games that I play with students is connect four. So I think when we're talking about games, right, this does not mean that we're getting out this elaborate board game and we're, we're spending all this time. Instead, it's kind of thinking about how can you gamify your activities in a way that's yeah. really going to pull your students in. And so, as Emily said, right, this encompasses so much of our learning from the working memory to metacognitive planning to application of the skills that we're learning and then weaving in that repetition. Um, mm. So there's just so many benefits to gamifying your activities. And really that's all it is. They're just activities. I mean, it's right. right. Absolutely. <laughs> we call them games. Though. We do. <laughs> the minute they hear that word, oh, there's a game today. Yes, there is. Mm. So we love that games help with ex executive function skills. They are with following through with tasks, with having to listen and follow through with directions. We love that games or learning activities are building their language skills. So yeah. they have to communicate with one another. They have to use their ex uh, expressive and receptive language skills. And we know for our children that we work with our students with dyslexia, that is just such a wonderful benefit of using those tools. And we're able to weave in the content when we incorporate these 
learning games. So whatever particular lesson focus it may be, we are weaving that in throughout. And uh, I love that some games can really bring out kids' creativity. Mm -hmm. And for the students who find the classroom challenging, having a game in which they can showcase that creativity, which they have, right? These are our firefly kids. They glow from within and they can, they can, but they can really shine in some of these games. And I love that. I had, I don't know if you ever played shut the box case you ever played. I haven't tried that one. No, that's a really good one. I find for older students, um, there's some math incorporated in there. So really have to get some good logic and reasoning in with that one, but they're able to to showcase their creativity with that too. All right. So Casey's going to talk a little bit about games and repetitions and just to give you a little bit of background here with the research and some things to consider. Yeah. So I think, you know, when we are considering weaving games or gamifying an activity into our lesson, we want to do so in a way that provides repetition for our students so that it is moving learning forward, right? So sometimes I'll see where people may want to pull a a really fun game, but the question I pose is, is it helping to move learning forward? Are we revisiting a skill that we've already learned or are we practicing building to automaticity? Because we always want that to be in the forefront of our mind. How are we helping our students to move learning forward, to to build towards mastery? And when we think about repetitions, games provide opportunities to to have repetitive practice happen in a way that isn't just, you know, quote unquote, drill and kill. Right. So they're, they have a place and they're, they're really lovely because we know for our typical learners, you know, one to 10 exposures and the kids have it, but for our students who are struggling, they need to overlearn. They need hundreds of repetitions Mm -hmm. in order to create, to create those neural pathways in the brain, to create those brain synopsis. So gamifying our tasks really provides opportunities to, to target those skills and to provide that overlearning opportunity. So when we're thinking about that, though, we do also want to realize that all repetition is not created equal, right? So yeah, there are times where going through a quick drill, that is something you just need to do. If you're going through your, your decks, right? Those are quick. You want to, you want to go through those. I wouldn't gamify those, but There are some strategies that you can use to improve the effectiveness of things that we can do is we can provide repetition spacing where you are going to space out those repetitions over time so that you're revisiting skills that you've taught, you're coming back to them so that students can look at those concepts over a space of months or years with that increasing complexity. So Each time you have that repetition, you can increase the complexity of that task just a little bit based on where you are in your scope and sequence. So that, that repetition spacing, you know, research does show us that, that if you teach it that way and you come back, that it really does help with the recall of the concept for students. So doing repetition spacing is a really great strategy. The other strategy we can do for repetition is spiral repetitions. So where we are revisiting concepts over the space and we kind of circle back to them. So instead of doing back to back, right, neither of these are talking about back to back. So, you know, we're doing 
spacing of the time and we're coming back and we're increasing the complexity. And then we're also spiraling back the content. So a couple different ways for us to approach repetition. And I think Casey's really hit on a couple of points here that are so important that link us back to the principles of Wharton Gillingham. We are teaching towards mastery. That's the goal. And we can help kids get towards mastery through this type of varied or different spiraled repetition and that our students at the heart of this, we, they need to be over learning. And because we're not really these drill and kill type people here, that's not (laughs) the perp, that's not what we're doing here. We're using explicit and direct instruction, but we can incorporate that repetition through the setting of a game or learning activity. And there's a great book called Make It Stick, The Science of Successful Learning. If you want to learn more about varied repetition, um, I think that's an excellent resource. And the science is there. It was Peter Brown, Henry Rodiger, and Mark McDaniel. There were three authors that put that book together. So Make It Stick is really, I think, going to uh, open your eyes about the type of practice that is the most beneficial. I hope I didn't say it wrong when I was saying so that, you know, that repetitive, the repetition spacing you can do for, you know, a couple of days, weeks, months, however you're needing to come back to those concepts. And then that spiral is, is coming back with, with those concepts at a increased complexity each time. So, right. Right. Okay. And I think once again, linking back to the principles of Wharton Gillingham, I know you say this a lot on, the, on this show mm-hmm. that OG is emotionally so yes. And this is what we love about games. Mm-hmm. Games are, well, we've got, think of it this way. With games, we want to do two things, increase learning, reduce stress. Yes. So our kids find learning to read a stressful situation within when they're in the classroom and there's no doubt about that. And so they may have their cortisol. That's the stress hormone being released quite a bit when they get into a reading experience, but when we can get them into a learning activity, like gamifying part of portions of your lessons, we can get the happy hormones in there, the endorphins, right. And we can lower their stress through this purposeful, activity learning and build their self-confidence and boy, oh boy, are they building their self-confidence when they're beating you? (laughs) (laughs) That kids love beating me. Yeah. You know what? We're not always about winners and losers in games. We know that, but yeah, you know what? There's nothing wrong with a little healthy competition from time to time. That is true. Yeah. And we can (laughs) game right. They're engaging our children in those activities that are promoting both their cognitive development, Mm. but then they're also it's removing those barriers that may have been there, that anxiety, that stress. And so it really helps to develop those wide range of those socio-emotional skills, like the self-regulation, listening, negotiating, that independent thinking, talking about different perspectives. You can ask them about what approach they're using to solve words, things like that. So there's just so much that you can get from observing how your students are interacting with the games or activities that you're providing. Absolutely. You were talking about this before we were starting this episode, how it can be such a great icebreaker with Mm -hmm. kids that are, that you're working with that are, you you know, are new to you. You're building that relationship. 
using games can really be a great way to get to know them. Some great kid watching going on yes. in a game situation. You can learn a lot about them. And yeah, I love that point you made, Casey, just now about independent thinking. It's like, well, how, how did you get to that? Yes. And I, I love to ask them that question, right? It, it's really bringing that thinking about your thinking forward. And it allows me to then, you know, observe their thinking process and then also to be really prescriptive in my next lesson. So I really observe how they're approaching these games, especially when we're working on like a spiral repetition or mm -hmm. repeated repetition, because I want to see how they're transferring the knowledge into their own practice. Absolutely. And that is a great lead in. So as we were talking about kid watching with the different purposes that games can serve. So games can be used within your lessons. Most popularly, people like to use them for review mm -hmm. to find out, um, you know, has, has your student grasped that skill or concept, you know, within a situation where they have to be practicing it in a gamified or learning activity. So we can use it as a review. We can find out, hmm, looks like my next lesson's gonna have to be in a little more practice because they don't quite get that. Or wow, they're really able to apply uh, the doubling rule when we play this activity, mm -hmm. this matching activity. Okay, so right. that that's a great way to find out if they're building towards their mastery. It can be some, some I, I think, a helpful assessment tool, informal, of course, mm -hmm. but I think it can really serve as a good way to get a little bit of data collection just anecdotally. So you can write right. down some notes, find out what's going on with them, like as you're planning out your lessons. Anything else, Casey? In terms of well, purposes? you know, I think sometimes I'll have students who are, they feel very overwhelmed if they see like a sheet that has like a list of words. So I know a lot of oh, different yeah. programs will have like a big long list of decodable words or decodable sentences. And that can feel very overwhelming. And when I first started, you know, I used to like fold the paper and that strategy still works. But then as I learned more about making things stick in the brain, I started to gamify those. So as they've done, I've introduced the new concept and then we're getting into the applied practice piece. I will either cut the decodable sentences into strips mm -hmm. and I'll pull out a blank board game and we roll and read. It's so simple. And I found that actually they go through all of the sentences where before, you know, they would do, <laughs> we would be like, read three sentences, read five sentences. And then that was all I could get from them. And now they will read all the sentences. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll also be a little tricky and be like, you know, writing notes or something. I'm like, Hey, can you read mine? And, and <laughs> so mm -hmm. I tend to trick my students into reading my sentences as well, but right. it's getting that, that, you know, I want them to have opportunities, those ample opportunities to apply what we've just learned. And so I found that gamifying those word lists and those decodable sentences, get them to practice much more than just showing them a, a list, which can be very overwhelming, especially for students, maybe that have attention deficit disorder or have had really negative experiences with that. It's like panic. And so the, what, what Casey has just described is something very, very similar to what, what I do too. I just grab a big old pair of scissors and mm -hmm. cut up my sentence strips. And I might just put them in a big cup. And one of the sentence strips, I might put like a little sticker on there. And they're just reading yeah. a bunch of stick uh, of sentences, but like, you can't get the one with the sticker on it or else there's yeah. like some little, I don't know, like pitfall there. 
just something as simple as that. Like we're not talking that this has to be this huge elaborate thing. And I think it's important to note that when we do it that way, it doesn't take any extra time than what we have already allotted it for does not. that task. Right. right. It's so we were staying within the integrity of the programs that we're using or, or the Orton Gillingham approach, right. And the time we've allotted for each of those activities, but we're doing it in a way now that's really engaging the student and providing this opportunity for them to feel really successful and have not as much stress surrounding reading, which are, you know, those are all those benefits that those social emotional uh, benefits that we see that go along with, with uh, the reading piece. Right. And, you know, I love that you can really beautifully weave in that metacognition there. Like when we're playing a game and there may be something where they have to, after they've chosen, say, a, a, a card or, or have to write something down on their board, mm-hmm. take that opportunity to say, so why did you double that final consonant before you add it? And then they have to go back and reiterate and explain to you why any little moment we try, we try to just weave those little questions in there to get them to communicate to you to that they know. Yeah. And that's all all part of that gradual release of responsibility. When we Mm -hmm. get to the, you do, which is when they're applying those and and you're, you're checking for understanding and there's a way to just do it so naturally when you are having activities done with your students that way. Absolutely. Oh, and don't, and if you want to know more about gradual <laughs> release, that was episode. No, I've forgotten now. <laughs> nine. That was nine. Okay. All right. Now we're starting to get a little forgetful about like, wait a minute, which episode was that? Okay. <laughs> we need some repetitions. Okay. So now we're going to go into some tips, just, just some things to keep in mind. If you yeah. do want to try to incorporate learning activities or games or to gamify Mm -hmm. just some planning tips, things to keep in mind. So Casey and I want to be really, really clear that we, that you, first of all, you know what the outcome is. What is the purpose of the activity? Um, What are you trying to practice with this child? And that we maintain the integrity of Mm -hmm. that. That is really important. So some things just to keep in mind, when I choose to gamify something, I like to make sure that it's something that they're either practicing their decoding a lot or they're encoding a lot or more bang for your buck, both. Yeah, Um, I agree. That's something that you really want to keep in mind there. As I'm thinking back to my first Orton Gillingham training, you could have at game activities where they're just practicing their reading, particularly mm-hmm. if it's a new concept. Like if I'm cutting up words or sentences and putting them in a cup and they're choosing something. Okay, right now, yes, that student's just practicing their decoding. But when I do the lesson again as a review, now I want to weave in more decoding and encoding. You want to get them practicing their spelling as well. In, in using those strategies. Casey, yeah. I don't know if that's something that uh, you can speak I, to, but that's really how I sort of see when I pick out my games and decide how I want them to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And, and I'll also, you know, remembering that, that multi-sensory approach. So your oh, yeah. activities can also be where you are being mindful of how are you bringing in those manipulatives to scaffold spelling? Are you having them push chips 
as they are unblending and then connecting those to the sound symbol correspondences and then writing them down? Are you providing them with different tactile opportunities to reinforce those skills? So there's a lot of different ways that you can can do that. But I think as Emily said, right, the focus is making sure that we're increasing learning. So we're always making sure that is it worth gamifying in that it's not taking away from your lesson, but enhancing your lesson and, and making that lesson stick. So I think that's the number one hiccup maybe that people fall into as they start to move into gamifying, um, just kind of keeping that at the forefront that are, are you pushing learning forward by putting this into place? Right. Absolutely. And you know, it's so much fun to repurpose these little games. We just want, we, and we, and we definitely do that. I know I've got one, my gosh, Casey, do the crocodile dentist, do you know that one? Uh And you know, kids are like, some kids absolutely love it. Some are just like freaked out. Like, no, I don't want that (laughs) crocodile snapping my finger, (laughs) but you know what? Okay. Read words or sentences, press down a tooth. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah. once again, like that doesn't take any prep at all. It's just opening that crocodile's mouth to set it up. And like, you've got your learning materials right there. So yes, you do want to be mindful mm-hmm. of what you choose in terms of anything that's going to pull too far away from right. your focus. Right. And I like to pick things that I can use in a lot of different ways. So like yeah. Legos, I can use Legos for yeah, yeah. onset and rhyme work. I can use Legos for phonological awareness. If we're counting the number of, you know, words in a sentence, I can use it for individual phonemes. So there's so many different things I can do with just my Lego pieces. And then the same thing, like with my Jenga, I have the colored Jenga. So I use that for spelling. I use it for grammar where I'll assign a different color, a different, you know, a noun, a verb, a verb, and things things like that. And so there's just so many different ways that I use my materials, which is also cost-effective. So I like that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay. So Casey mentioned, you know, making sure that we're incorporating multi-sensory techniques in there. That's part of our Orton-Gillingham principles. We really mm-hmm. try to make sure that we're addressing that. And uh, one final thing that I'd love to talk about with gamifying part- portions of your lessons is that for kids who are reluctant to come to you, for kids mm-hmm. who may not really feel very motivated. I know Casey's talked about this, like some kids say, well, this is boring or, or just feeling like kind of resistant to wanting to do anything with you. And yes, we have spoken to many teachers over the years where that is the case. Yeah. Uh, not everything, you know, goes smoothly. So having a little menu of with controlled choices, yeah. I think is very, very motivating. Like when we get this portion done, I'm going to let you choose from this little menu of how you'd like to practice your words or your sentences. Yes. I think that's a great opportunity to provide students with that choice. And it can just be a, you know, it can be a small choice like, Hey, we're going to, which game board do you want to use this one or this one? Or do you want to use this activity or this activity? I mean, it doesn't have to be something, a big choice board either. It can just be providing them with with two choices, this or that. Absolutely. And these children, you know, come in with you and once again, working on relationship building with them when they know that they get to choose that is, well, I have found personally really, really helpful for them. And you know what, 
we're sort of alleviating this whole extrinsic reward system with like stickers and candies and things by offering something where they feel like they are in the driver's seat. We really hope that we have encouraged you to try out games with your students today to know that they are beneficial, that you Mm -hmm. can use them successfully. They don't take a lot of prep. (laughs) Yeah, they, they can be really, really simple. And they can move learning forward. Yes. Once again, increase learning, reduce stress. Mm-hmm. That's what we want for these kids. So we are going to end with uh, Casey here with a question from a listener. Yeah. So we love having questions sent into us. So please feel free to do that. So the question from the listener was saying that, you know, I just started your podcast and I'm so impressed. Thank you for sharing all your knowledge. I've been a classroom teacher for 29 years and I'm looking to start a new chapter in my career. I'm interested in becoming a dyslexia specialist. I am relocating and hoping to find a position outside of the classroom as an interventionist or dyslexia um, would be an ideal situation. So I'm so overwhelmed on where to begin with this new chapter. I am reading Overcoming Dyslexia. Do you have any suggestions on where to begin? There's so much out there. We don't know where to get started. Yeah, I think that that is true, which is right. I'm so glad that that we're starting to have these conversations more and more about dyslexia and about, you know, the science of reading and, and those different specializations that you can find as you try to further your knowledge. So um, I know Emily and I have talked about this in some previous episodes, um, but we just kind of wanted to reiterate, first off, I'm glad that you're on that journey. It's such a wonderful one to be on. Yes. And I think depending on what your desired outcome is, will determine which path to take. So there are a lot of different um, learning opportunities for dyslexia or reading specialists out there. Um, and Emily and I talked about how for us, if you are seeking a position either as a specialist or outside of a school setting and like either in a private practice or something along those lines that really looking at programs that provide that practicum is where I think you really elevate your knowledge because you are provided a mentor who looks at your lessons and provides you with that immediate corrective feedback and you really grow in that setting. So I really encourage people, if that is something that they're seeking to look for those programs that have a practicum. First of all, I just like to say kudos to this person, 29 years as a classroom teacher, like that is to be commended. And so I am just so grateful for your service. And you know what? I think it's wonderful that she, or he or she, I'm sorry, I don't have the name here, um, ready to begin a new chapter because I love new chapters. And I think that this is really an exciting opportunity. You do want to sort of be mindful about your end goal. So this person look, it looks like they want to just be perhaps in private practice. So yes, I think it's really helpful to look at the different organizations out there to see Mm -hmm. the different training options. So if you start just with the international dyslexia association, the IDA has a section that lists their approved training organizations, the ones that they endorse that provide the training, as Casey mentioned, practicum, really, it's just so, so critical. Like even after, you know, Casey and I are both classroom teachers before private Mm -hmm. practice. And and you know what, we've gotten 
lots and lots of experience through being a classroom teacher, but it's really, really helpful and beneficial to have someone directing you in your practicum when you are about to enter into working in an intervention type model. And it's a different type of feedback that you're receiving. So I just can't stress enough. And we've talked about this. Uh, I believe we talked about this in episode nine that we do recommend trying to find that uh, a training that offers that additional practicum. And sure, it's a bit more time. It's, it's more work. It's totally 100% worth it. I can attest to that for sure, as can Casey. And I know it's overwhelming, but I, I recommend just, just going to the International Dyslexia Association and, and um, starting there and doing mm-hmm. a little bit of research to find the different programs. You might want to find one online, find one in person. Um, and there's different organizations that provide those training opportunities right. and they do vary as well in terms of the different levels of training that you can, can receive. So right. um, taking a look at those and determining what's going to best align with your goals, I think is the best approach for anyone on this, on this journey. Right. And when you are at the point where you have gone through the training and you are ready to advertise to your families that this is the, you offer intervention services for dyslexia. You can be forthright in sharing your credentials. Families do want to know that they'll love knowing that you've had 29 years as a classroom teacher and which is wonderful. They'll know that you were a seasoned educator and that you have furthered your expertise to learn more about helping children specifically with dyslexia, which uh, is, is really just, I think such a gift. So thank you so much to that person for reaching out to us. And you can too. We have our email address support at togetherinliteracy.com. For today's episode, episode 11, we'll have show notes. Yes. We will link to, I know we talked about one book, but anything else Mm -hmm. that we can provide to help you with talking about games and you'll want to head to the website www.togetherinliteracy.com. Yeah. All right. So we want to hear from you. Let us know if you have any favorite games like to talk about or have questions about games. We want to hear from you. Absolutely. And we will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Together in Literacy podcast today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a positive review and subscribe to the podcast. Each comment means a great deal to us. And if you have any questions for us that you would like answered on the Together in Literacy podcast, please contact us at support at togetherinliteracy.com. Be sure to visit the website www.togetherinliteracy.com for show notes, downloads, and goodies. Thank you for helping us spread the word about the Together in Literacy podcast. We'll see you next time.